Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Hey, how are we doing? All right. How about you? Good, good, good. I guess your semester's wrapped up now. Negative. <laughs> negative. Negative. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my, uh, they're doing quarters, so I'm back uh, in a class. Well, that's exciting. I guess. <laughs> uh, I mean, I hope it's exciting. I don't know. I just uh, that's. All right. It is what it is. Yeah, fair enough, <laughs> um, fair enough. So how's your day um, been going, you know, since uh, you're the CEO and all that? Um. <laughs> it's good. You know, we're in the middle of this product launch right now. And, um, you know, I've kind of flipped roles. So I'm, I'm still doing 25% CEO stuff. But really, my head of operations has stepped in. And he runs the day-to-day -day business. I'm 75% focused on this new product launch. Um, so my days are a lot more focused, but they're a lot more intense too. So a little bit of a trade-off. So is that sim is some of that similar to project management, you would say? It's, it's full on project management. I've essentially become the project manager for this product launch. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, would you say you use the agile approach or is it more of a hybrid or? Yeah, we definitely, uh. We definitely do an agile uh, approach. Um, we call it um, Scrum with fledging characteristics. You know, so we're a physical products company. So, uh, you know, agile is built for software, but it's very flexible. And we have taken a lot of the principles of agile with backlogs and buffers and the sprint schedule in general and Scrum, you know, kind of the Scrum master role. And we built that all into a physical products company. Hmm. Okay. Where did you um, actually learn Scrum? Yeah, I took um, a week-long uh, course that was the Scrum Master and the Scrum Product Owner course. I took that with Sagayo Studios. Um, I'd say here in Birmingham, it was virtual, but we're all here in Birmingham. Back, it was March 2020, so the first full week of the uh, quarantine locked down here. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So you said, would you... Um, say that that's a pretty good um, skill to have as a manager or CEO? Oh, I think, I think it's priceless. Um, 
you know, any project management skill is going to serve you well. There's a lot of great methodologies out there. Um, but for what we do as a startup, uh, if you're running a smaller business unit, if you're running anything that has to move fast, then I think the scrum methodology, you're, you're never going to be upset that you learned it. Even if you modify it and kind of do it your own way and just take principles from it, you're never going to be upset that you took the time to learn it. Okay. That's a good to know. Um, where are you originally from, by the way? I'm from all over the place. Um, my parents served in the military. My dad was active duty army for 28 years. Um, so I've lived all over the Southeast. Uh, Tuscaloosa, Alabama is where I call home. Okay. Okay. Um, did you attend a public school? Yeah, yeah, sure did. Yeah. Um, (laughs) to Tuscaloosa County High School. Um, so came out of there for public school and then went uh, just to basically across the street to go to the, to the University of Alabama for uh, my undergrad degrees and then for my uh, grad degree. Since you brought it up, uh, what did you uh, major in for your bachelor's? <laughs> yeah, I started in civil engineering because that's what you're supposed to do. And they gave me a bunch of scholarship money and I, I, that wasn't for me. Um, so I changed over actually to journalism for a while. Um, I knew I didn't want to be a journalist full time, but I, I thought the communication skills, interviewing, writing, just research, all that kind of stuff would be useful when I figured out what I wanted to do. Um, and then I picked up a business management degree and then went to grad school there, earned my MBA, really focused on kind of finance and small business development. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So, and after grad school, what did you actually get into? Or what was your, like, your first job after yeah. grad So I remember about halfway through undergrad, someone told me the stat that 50 or 55% of all new jobs in the U.S. are created by small businesses. And that just broke my mind because you're convinced it's got to be Coca-Cola and Walmart and Home Depot and those guys. And it's, they're half of it, but small businesses are the other half. So I started doing some research on that and was really kind of blown away. At the, at the model we have, that someone has to be this great uh, founder and product innovator and marketer and fundraiser and operations person, and that's just not a good model. So I started shifting my educational focus to where I could come in and be the operational side of a business and work with those great product makers and those great innovators. So after grad school, um, I went to work for a company called Georgia Pacific. They make um, pulp and paper products, lumber products, gypsum, drywall building products. Um, on the sourcing and supply chain side of things. Had a ton of exposure to that world with contract negotiations, sourcing, supply management, inventory, all that kind of nitty gritty stuff that's not very sexy to product makers, but that is extremely important for that product to actually survive. Um, so that, that was my first job out of, out of college and I got really lucky. Great culture over there, absolutely fantastic people, great place to learn. Hmm. Okay. And... So was the um, job, the job you hold now, was that directly after um, the Georgia or no? No. um, So my wife and I were living in Atlanta, you know, having a good time, really enjoyed the work we were doing, but we decided we wanted to be back closer to home and family for two reasons. One is just family. Uh, The other is we looked up and saw what was happening in Birmingham and we thought that's a really cool place to be. You know, there's a lot going on. This was before ships got acquired. Um, we thought there was a lot going on, very entrepreneurial, a lot of new stuff coming into a state that's not as famous for having new stuff. And we said, we want to go be in that environment. So we, we packed our bags and I went to work at UAB hospital 
doing the same thing I was doing at GP with uh, sourcing supply chain negotiations, supply management, and that kind of work. It was that job that actually landed me into my first role with fledging. Hmm. Okay. Would you consider yourself an entrepreneur? You know, that's, that's a tough question. Um, in a lot of ways, you know, if you ask my wife, she's going to say, absolutely. Um, at the same time, there's always kind of this thing in my mind that says, if you're not the founder, do you get to call yourself that? Um, and I don't know. Um, I know that I like helping make and grow businesses. I know I love working in small businesses. And I know I like kind of trying to do things innovative new ways. Um, I do see myself, you know, launching something of my own in the future. So I'm not sure if that counts or not. Okay, okay. So you kind of do have the entrepreneur itch, I guess you could say. For the definitely. <laughs> yeah, de definitely, definitely. Mm -hmm. I think I'm a sixth or seventh employee at Fledging. Uh, so came in very, very early, you know, at least an early stage employee, if not quite a full entrepreneur. Okay. So you're not the founder uh, of Fledging. Okay, gotcha. What do y'all actually do at Fledging? Like, what is y'all I guess you could so say. So our mission is um, premium electronics for everyone. And what that means is we looked at the marketplace, our founders did, and they said, it doesn't make sense that to have something that works really well, you've got to give up on month's rent. Um, you know, our founders, MacBook died and he was a broke PhD student. And instead of spending $2,000 on a new computer, he figured out how to fix the solid state drive himself. And it costs like a hundred dollars. Um, so, you know, a fifth or I'm sorry, 5% of what it would have cost him to replace the MacBook. And it really occurred to them at the time that the industry shouldn't be split between stuff that works really, really well, like Apple stuff works super well, but is very, very expensive or stuff that doesn't really work all that well, but doesn't cost a ton of money. And so that's what we're trying to do. We invented Feather SSD, which is a solid state drive upgrade for MacBooks. We invented the Shell external SSD series, which is high performance external storage uh, it's designed originally to help MacBooks, but it can help any kind of device. Uh, we recently invented a product called Hubble for iPad. It integrates a hub with all the different ports, um, along with a brushed aluminum case to protect an iPad Pro or an iPad Air. The idea being you shouldn't be limited by the number of ports on the bottom of an iPad, which is just the one. Um, we want to give you everything else back. And then we're actually right now uh, launching a, a product called Spruce. It's a desktop charger can charge five devices at once, fits in the palm of your hand, um, very high performance, charges everything fast and very quickly. So that's what we try and do, invent stuff that just takes an ecosystem and says, you know what, this is a good ecosystem, but it's got a fatal flaw. What can we do to unlock that and really make this the best version of the ecosystem possible? Okay, okay. Do you actually have a, um, a Hubble with you right now? Oh man, I actually don't. I had to take it back to the office for testing yesterday. Uh, so I do not have it in front of me right now. I'm actually looking around and I sadly don't have any of our products in hand's reach. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. But I can get you some stuff sent over links and images and stuff. Okay. Um, how do y'all um, distribute y'all um, products? Like, do you do it online or is it in stores? Like, where would we go? Yeah. Uh, so we are and have always been an e-commerce only company. We don't have a storefront. So we started on eBay way back in the day. We have our own website. That's fledging.net. That's, that's the best place to go. Um, and then we do sell on Amazon, though. If you can avoid giving money to Jeff Bezos, you can come to our website. You're going to get better prices. Everybody's going to be happier. Um, and we are starting to partner with distributors, especially internationally. 
Uh, we have distribution partners in Japan. We have some in New Zealand, Australia, uh, the, e the UK, the EU, um, really trying to reach all over the planet. Okay, okay. How do y'all go about marketing? Or do y'all have a market? <laughs> I had to bring it up. <laughs> that, that's a great question, man. That's a great question. We're, we're still figuring that out. Marketing's hard. Um, I had no idea how hard it was until we started trying to do it. Um, there was this whole period of Fledging's life where the market was new enough that we didn't really have to market. So we've only really had an active marketing team since uh, January of 2020. So very new. Um, we, you know, we're an e-commerce channel. So we try and maintain our listings with good ratings, reviews, and images. Uh, we try and do a lot of email-based marketing and reach people where they are. Um, we've tried doing kind of the SEO blog thing, but we're not very good at that. Um, and then we're trying to get more into some kind of um, affiliate marketing where other people are starting to talk about our products and they're getting incentivized to talk about our products. The best marketing we've seen is just making really good stuff. And if the stuff doesn't work, we fix it for you. You know, that's a big you know, claim to fame for us is in an industry absolutely full of businesses that have no interest in helping you. You can call down here and say, my SSC is not working and Laura of UBA is going to pick up the phone and say, I will fix this with you. You know, someone can say, hey, my Hubble's not working or I bought the wrong size. And we'll say, hey, we got one in the mail for you right away. And we found that just treating people really, really well is serving us well in terms of marketing. Okay. So do y'all actually have like a customer service team or y'all kind of all just work in that type of atmosphere where y'all delivering customer service? Yeah, so we do have a dedicated customer success team. It's managed by our customer success manager, Laura, and then she has a, a new intern. Um, also treating others how they want to be treated is one of our four company values. So at the end of the day, we do all work in customer success. If something needs to be fixed, no one gets to say, oh, that's, that's Laura's job. It's, it's their job to fix it for that customer. Okay. Okay. So y'all are more like Amazon than Facebook. <laughs> yeah, we, we're trying to be very Amazon centric. We are kinder to our suppliers than Amazon is, but that's a different podcast. Gotcha. Okay. Um, do y'all have a board? We do. We have two boards. Um, we have a founders board, which is made up of our two founders. One has since exited. Um, but that's how I report to directly. You know, that's my boss where I go in monthly and talk about the financials and strategy and stuff like that. And then we have an advisory board um, and that's made up of our head investor, um, two other investors, and then a, a consumer, ele consumer electronics product expert. Um, so those are the more kind of senior people with 20, 30 years of industry experience who can, you know, take a look at a real hard problem we have and say, hey, you're being dumb, push this button, you know, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, how did y'all go about getting people on your board? We have a rule at Fledging and it's just ask. Um, we have been very fortunate in that when we reach out to people we've developed relationships with, we just ask and they're usually pretty happy to help us. And that's something that I think is really cool both about Birmingham and about startups in general is, you know, entrepreneurs, entrepreneurship's a tough game. And I think a lot of people know that. And so when they see you doing something the right way, they're usually pretty eager to, to help you. Um, the flip side of that is, you know, we won over a major advisor um, has been very successful out of Pittsburgh, out of the Northeast by being meticulous, by being thoughtful with our notes, by following up on action items, by taking her advice very seriously. So kind of signaling to them that, hey, we're not just consuming your time because we thought we needed a board. 
really signaling, hey, we've listened to you. We're changing our business based off what you've said. Thank you for the results. That's gone a long way to helping us get help. Okay, okay. Um, what advice would you give someone that's going into an interview, interview for a <laughs> job or something like that? And that's a great question. I've been in a lot of interviews. I've held a lot of interviews. I used to do recruiting uh, when I was a GP as well. Um, the number one trap I see with people is that they will be dishonest with themselves about a job or an opportunity. Um, and it's really hard, especially when you're young, you need an internship, you got to have that first job. It's really easy to look at a job where you know something's wrong. Maybe it's the culture. Maybe it's some people you know work there and they've told you something's wrong. Maybe it's the way the manager treated you in the interview. Maybe you just hate the work. Um, you know, it's so easy to look over all that because dang, you need a job. Um, but being honest with yourself about the job and about what you want in life and being willing to walk away from something is, is important. The absolute flip side of that is that that first entry-level job is just that. It's just an entry-level job. It is going to get you in the door. It is going to get you experience. If you're working at a good company with good culture and you're doing good work, you're going to look up in three to six months and be doing something very different anyways. So I don't mean to talk out of both sides of my mouth. Pay attention to the yellow flags. They're really important. Also understand that as long as you're not getting any big, bright yellow flags, whatever the first job is, that's not going to stay your job anyways. Okay, okay. Um, have you ever thought about, like you're in operations basically, right? That's right. that's right. Have you ever wanted to do tech, like more of hands-on? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's something I've been really fortunate to get to do here. Um, yeah, I'm a big proponent of customer discovery. And so for this product we're launching right now, uh, I got to participate in the interviews. I participated in the design process, participated in testing, supply chain negotiations. I'm doing reviewer outreach right now. So I've really got to touch the whole you know, value chain of making a product. Um, I would absolutely love to make a product from the ground up. Um, I'm not an engineer, so I can't physically do it, but I would love to go from idea to prototype, to, to production batch, to units sold, that'd be, that would be incredible. Okay, okay. Hmm. All right, so have you pitched before? I have, many times. And what advice would you give somebody who's about to give a pitch to investors? You are probably always going to feel afraid, um, <laughs> and that is okay. Um, you know, I've pitched a lot. I've had a lot of uh, coaching for public speaking, uh, done a lot of tough things in a lot of tough environments. Every single time I get up, even before we're doing a podcast right now, even before this, I get that little ball of ice in my stomach and I wonder if I'm saying the right thing. Um, and that's just normal. Some people just react like that. And all it is, is your body saying, hey, something important is about to happen. Um, so just kind of settle into it. It's not going to go away and tell your story. You know, and if someone's not going to stick with you because you were a little nervous or because your delivery wasn't perfect or whatever it's probably a good thing that they don't want to work with you you know because people who are going to connect with you are going to see through that and they're going to say hey this guy's got a great concept or he is so excited and passionate about this that he's kind of nervous um you know those are the kind of people you want to work with anyways okay okay um <clears throat> how do y'all go about raising money uh, raising capital <laughs> that's a full-time job man um 
we raised, uh, our founder raised a $1 million seed round uh, right before I came on board. I was actually the first hire after that money came in. So I've, I've not had to live through that. Um, I have spoken with him about it intensively. And he says it is a full-time job. Um, you've got to really understand your business. You've got to understand your value proposition. You've got to practice, practice, practice. I think he, he pitched two investors 50 times. Um, that's not even counting how many times he practiced. Um, he got told no a lot. Um, so it's just a lot of practice, um, a lot of pitching, a lot of refining your message, and a lot of not being afraid of failure and just a bunch of work. It's hard. Talking someone into giving you a million dollars is tough. Okay, okay. Um, do y'all usually, let me put it this way. Do y'all, do y'all use venture capitalists or do y'all go to banks or what would you say is the best way to go about raising capital? Angel investors or what? I, I think best is a tough way to ask that. Um, you know, a bank is very reliable. Um, they don't want to be involved in your business. They're going to sign a contract with an interest rate, and that's the game. But a bank's also the most conservative money. They're the most risk averse. So a startup's pretty much out of luck with a bank. Um, angel investors can be really wonderful because they're not typically institutional. They're deciding for themselves. They're not having to decide for a family fund or they're not having to get a board to approve or anything like that, um, which is nice if you can you know, kind of become friends with and persuade the angel investor. But then another single person who's not an institution has an um, outsized or disproportionate say on your business. Uh, you've basically picked up a founder, depending on who you're working with. Hmm. They may or may not also bring an extensive network. People talk about kind of smart money and dumb money. Uh, dumb money doesn't mean the people are dumb. It just means they don't want to be involved. Like a bank is dumb money. They don't want to be involved. Then smart money is okay. They gave you money, but also they're going to connect you with their distribution partners and their marketing partners. And they know a lady who's great at web development and they care about the money. And that's where you get into kind of institutional investors is they're, they're very, they're sharp. They know what they're doing. They're going to introduce you to a portfolio. They're going to be probably pretty active, um, but they're also not one person. It's a team you're connected with. So I think all else equal institutional is, um, the way I prefer to go, but it really depends on what you're looking for. As institutional is also most likely to decide to pull out their money because they need to spend their money on something else. So it's very much, as a, it's a case of it depends on your situation. I would say in general, if you can avoid fundraising, avoid it as long as possible. Um, it takes a lot of work. It was a full-time job for a founder for six months and six months is short. Um, it's a trade-off. You know, we had to trade a good chunk of ownership for that money we raised. And now we have people I report to every month, which is super fun. Um, and then that money can kind of come in and maybe encourage you to do some things that you wouldn't have done otherwise. Um, but it can also make you a little bit afraid because now there's a million dollar price tag attached to your decisions. So if you can hold off on fundraising, I'd, I'd probably hold off a little bit. Okay. Okay. Hmm. All right. Um, have you heard the phrase relationships are better than pro are more important than product knowledge? Have you heard that before? I've not heard it said like that, no, but I've heard stuff like that. Would you agree that relationships are more important than product knowledge? It probably depends on your context. Um, 
you know, there's, there's nothing that trumps just having the right knowledge about something. There's not, um, you know, I can like you as much as I want, but if your thing won't solve my problem, I'm not giving you my money. Um, but at the end of the day, relationships are incredibly valuable, you know, on the strength of relationships we've gone and we've just asked people for help and they've done warm introductions to distribution partners who, um, introduced us to whole new markets. Um, so I think relationships overall are probably more important, but if you don't know your stuff and products, <laughs> you got a problem. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. It's almost like it's a, you've heard the phrase necessary, but not sufficient product knowledge is necessary, but not sufficient. You have to have it, but it's not going to get you all the way there. That relationship is going to get you all the way there, but you don't get to have a relationship without having the product knowledge. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, are you a, are you a stock market investor? A little bit. Um, I've got a guy who manages a portfolio for me, so I, I stay way away from that, so he can mind his own business, and then I'll dabble on the side with a little bit of money, kind of depending on you know what's interesting. Okay. And did you hear about the thing with um, Wall Street bets, and then it was the hedge uh, fund with, with GameStop? Yeah, yeah. I did, yeah, 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 yeah. What did you think of it? Like, did you think Wall Street Bets was in the wrong or? I, I thought it was funny. Um, <laughs> you know, institutional investors mm-hmm. will sometimes act like they get to do things that other people don't get to do. And they were trying to short a stock for a long time. And it's pretty morally gray to bet on the failure of a company. Um, and then they got... <laughs> <laughs> stung by it pretty bad and then they got mad uh so that's a little bit funny it's, it's almost like catching the fox in the hen house he gets it to embarrass him but i also don't ever think it's a good idea to speculate and that's what everyone involved was doing you know they weren't no one was talking about the fundamentals of GameStop, which is not a good business um they were talking about playing games with they were using reddit to play games with people shorting stock and then using kind of mob mentality to drive prices up um, I think it was fair to do to the investors, but I don't think it was, it's nothing that I would call investing. I think it was just speculation. Okay. Okay. Well, that is all I got for you today, Mr. Ethan. Um, oh, cool. Thank you for coming on. Yeah. Um, I appreciate you having me. This has been fun. Okay. Okay. Well, um, I guess I'll talk to you next time then. Um, have a great day. Hey, you too. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye.